Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. We're glad for all of you who are here with us in the sanctuary and also for those who are watching via live stream. We welcome you and we come today to encounter our God, to open ourselves to the love and grace that flows from the heart of our Creator. And our hope today is that through the wonderful music, the the prayers, the reading of Scripture, the joy of the children's message, and the message from our guest, Reverend Dale Cooper, we will incline our hearts toward Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me say just a word about our speaker of the day, Reverend Dale Cooper. Uh, Dale, for 30 years, was chaplain at Calvin University, uh, coming on staff when it was a college uh, and now a university. Um, he is revered there for his three decades of counseling and caring and guiding and serving the students of Calvin. He continues to teach and to work with the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. Dale and his wife, Marcia, have four children and 14 grandchildren. They have been blessed. And I want to say that I had the privilege a number of years ago of working with Dale on a board of local mission. And uh, as we would meet together early mornings, so often I got to catch something of the, of the great and wonderful and loving heart uh, of Dale. And it was such a privilege to get to know him and to work with him. If you've uh, looked in the bulletin at the note about him, you'll notice that there's something about a 1941 John Deere tractor. And I did a little reading up on Dale, and it seems that one of the most remarkable feats of his life uh, incurred a number of years ago. And I don't know if it was this 1941 John Deere, that one, but he drove a John Deere tractor from Calvin College to Alton, Iowa. How did you get through Chicago? <laughs> but uh, we are blessed to have Dale with us today. And to take us through the rest of the uh, announcements, Rachel comes. Good morning. Prayer cards will be um, collected during our second hymn this morning. And Pastor Steve will be available for personal prayer up front after the service. If everyone would take out their bulletins, we're going to walk through the announcements really quickly because there are lot, there's lots of great stuff coming up. You'll see the first announcement is all of the upgroups and the choir event that are happening in August. At all of these events, Pastor Sean and his family will be in attendance. So we hope that you find your spot and plug in. And even if you've never been a part of any of these groups, to come and join us. Next, you'll see that the annual fall picnic is going to be on September 11th. That will be our big kickoff Sunday with Sunday schools and choirs and everything else starting up at that time. If you turn the page, you'll see that the Outreach Committee is planning a school supply drive for one of our outreach partners, Potter's House. There will be boxes, um, big wooden boxes at the portico door and by the office for you to drop off those much, much needed school supplies for the classrooms at Potter's House. If you have a middle schooler or high schooler, they are taking all designs for the big kickoff t-shirt that's always a hot item in the fall. 
And then on this last page of announcements, in the lower corner, as we are updating and upgrading all of our safety procedures here at Mayflower, one of the things that we have been advised to do is to ask any of our medical profession, professionals when they are in attendance and if they are willing to sign in with their name and cell phone number, there is a closet that is right in the hallway between the women's bathroom and the doors to the chapel. That holds our AED system as well as a huge first aid kit, and on the outside of the door is a dry erase board. If you are so willing to serve in the way of putting your name and your phone number that the ushers could get a hold of you if there was ever an emergency during a service, we would so appreciate that. And now I'd like to invite Julia forward for the moment for music. One of you this week asked me, why are we listing our soloists and, uh, during the summer as cantors rather than soloists? And I thought, well, that is a great question that I've never, I've just done and never really talked about. And so I thought I would use this time of the music moment to just clarify why we're listing our soloists as cantors. Um, I use that term in the broadest sense, the cantor being the leader of the people's song. And the cantors, when they're here, part of what they do is sing a solo during the offering. But the most important work that the cantor does is to encourage and to help all of us sing together. And our communal music is the most important music that we do on a Sunday morning. Receive this call to worship from the psalmist. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Revive us again, so that your people may rejoice in you. Speak peace to your people, O God, to those who turn to you in their hearts. May steadfast love and faithfulness meet this day in this place. Now let us turn our hearts and our minds toward the God of all creation. Let us worship our God.
so we come to meet the one. The heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. We base our lives upon that this day. We are eager, Lord, to hear from you, to meet you. We offer up our lives and our love. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning. For this week's Did You Know, we are going to look at one of the most camouflaged symbols that is within our sanctuary. If you look up front and you see the cross and the curtain, you go to the right and the left, those are pillars that are painted the same color as the wall color, but they're meant to be the symbols of the pillars that were built in the temple by Solomon. There were two similar pillars in that temple that were not needed for support or structure of the building, similar to ours are not needed for our support structure. They were freestanding pillars, and they were given two names. They were named Boaz and Jachin. Boaz, meaning the strength, is on the left, And Jachin means will establish it, and beauty, and that is on the right. These pillars were made in Solomon's temple, perhaps of brass, copper, or even bronze. These two pillars of Boaz and Jacob are used in religious settings as well as within buildings of Freemasonries. That is a group that's joined together with brotherly love, relief, and truth, and they focus on the virtues of faith hope, and love. So as we continue this series on Did You Know, you all get to know the secret of those two pillars that are up front. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful for the gift of symbols as it brings us closer to you and as we see how we are surrounded with your presence and with your knowledge in all that we have around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning. Today's scripture reading can be found on page 818 in your Pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along. It is um, taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's verses 11 through 21. And again, it can be found on page 818 in your Bible if you'd like to follow along. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are right mind, in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. People of God, may the Lord be with you this morning. I want you to know that it's for me both a joy and a great honor to uh, be worshiping with you this morning. A joy because though I'm not a member of this congregation, I have friends in this congregation. Uh, One of my long, long time friends was the late Dr. Oliver Grin and his wife Carolyn. He and Marcia and I, uh, he and I were, along with my wife Marcia and Carolyn, uh, were dear, dear friends. So we knew Ollie and Carolyn, and uh, 
We've also had the opportunity, Marcia and I, to uh, spend some wonderful evenings here uh, in your series of musical events. So it's my joy to be with you. It's also my great honor to speak uh, this morning and to preach. Uh, And I, I do so because it is our Lord Jesus who said to each of us, not just to me, but to all of us, All power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And who said, therefore, go and make disciples. And who assured us, lo, I am with you always to the very close of the age. So we gather this morning in his name. Steve told you a little bit about Dale Cooper. Uh, Let me simply add that... um, I'm an unusually ordinary little person who grew up in Holland, Michigan. I'm no big deal. Um, I spent the major portion of my work life at Calvin. Uh, Truth of the matter is, if I could live my life, that part of my life over again, I'd do it right over again. I had the best of three worlds. I could preach, I could teach, and I could serve as a pastor. So, folks, there's not a chance in the world that I won't die a rich man because um, I have come to know so many people, dear friends, through my life and my work there. It's also very important for me to to remember and also for you now to know that I am an unusually ordinary preacher. (laughs) I am no big deal. Um, If ever I need to be reminded of that, I've got to recall what happened to me some years ago when I was preaching at my home church, the church in which I grew up, in Holland, Michigan, Ninth Street Church. Uh, it was Easter Sunday, and a special event that it was. They hauled out all the choir robes, and they had even special orders of worship. And you know, much like Julia said this morning, they used important words like, um, well, not not reader of scripture, but lector, and um, soloists were cantors and. That I was the preacher, and they called me homilist. Only it didn't come out in the bulletin as homilist, but it came out as homeliest. <laughs> so if ever I need to be reminded of that, I'm, I'm a no big deal person. Um, I just remember I'm homeliest. So when I stand to speak and preach, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I sort of, well... I have to remember for myself John 3, verse 29 and 30, where John the Baptist says about Jesus, uh, the bride belongs to the bridegroom and not to me. And so he must increase, I must decrease. So I, I really cherish the hope that you'll, that you'll hear Jesus this morning and not Dale Cooper. But if you do get stuck on Dale Cooper, then I hope you'll at least give me, well, that you'll give me a break. Um, and you say, well... At least he tried to do as well as he could. What I'm going to be preaching about this morning is a great, great text. It's one of my favorites. And I'm going to tell you, if a preacher can't preach on this one, she or he has got to be contemptibly dull. Uh, So I'm going to tell you this morning, if I I don't rise to the occasion, to the sheer 
power of the good news that's recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you don't arise in response to it, uh, well, if, if, if we don't together conclude this service by singing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow, then I failed you and you have failed this text. So, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, where St. Paul says, For the love of Jesus Christ constrains us. It compels us. Because we believe that one died for all, and so all people died in him. I'm going to begin this morning by reading um, a little piece from... Well, it's from the Christian century of some, some years ago. It's written by Greg Jones, and uh, it's entitled, Saint Jeanette. The letter was addressed to the pastor and the congregation of Providence United Methodist Church. And the question that began the letter was, who is a Christian? The author was a man named Oriander Love. And Love went on to answer that question, who's a Christian? Well, he said, he's one who follows Jesus. Love explained that although he knew about Christians and had heard stories about Jesus for many years, he did not believe the gospel because he had never met a Christian. That is, quote, until I met Ms. Jeanette Aldridge. Love met Jeanette Aldred under the most unusual circumstances. He was robbing her home. Aldred was 88 years old, and Love thought the house was empty. But when he discovered Aldred in bed, he panicked and hit her over the head. She responded with words of forgiveness and offered him a blessing. That enraged Oriander Love even more. Aldred did what Jesus did under the worst circumstance, under threat of life and limb. She said to me, Jesus loves you, my son. I forgive you. God bless you. She said these things even as I beat her, kicked her, robbed her, cursed at her. She didn't deserve it, but she did as Jesus would have done. Well, the next day... Having successfully gotten away, Orion and her love found himself haunted by Ms. Aldred's words, I forgive you. Still, he went back to his work, and he kept on robbing other houses before he was arrested. Police investigators asked him if he had been involved in other burglaries in that neighborhood. And when they mentioned the name of Jeanette Aldred, love began to cry. Oriander Love was sentenced to a lengthy prison term, and he found himself still thinking about Jeanette Aldred's words, I forgive you. And as he wrote in his letter, I was not saved from prison. She saved me from hell. After that dark criminal night in Ms. Aldred's home, I'm on the Providence Road, and I've never been the same.
he adds, I don't care anymore about the years that I'm going to spend in prison or about the media or the church that's going to be screaming for vengeance. It was God who saved me. Well, I've been saved for six years now, and I thank God for Ms. Aldred. And in his letter, he concludes with these words. I won't be released from this prison on earth anytime soon. But soon I'm going to be with Jesus. And I'm going to be with Ms. Aldred in heaven. And we're going to sing and dance together. Greg Jones, author of this article, asks, What do you think prompted Jeanette Aldred to act and respond the way she did to Oriander Love? He says two things. Number one, she knew herself loved by Jesus. And number two, she had been practicing her love for Jesus and her love for others in return throughout the rest of her life. Those two things. Now, friends, this morning, in this brief little meditation, we're going to focus on those two points. Number one, Jesus' love for us. And number two, our appropriate response, love for Jesus and love for others. Those two. First of all, Jesus' love for us. I'm not here to talk about the Greek language this morning, but in the Greek language we have, we make a distinction between what's called subjective genitive and objective genitive. Let's put it really simply. You know that the phrase, the love of Christ, from 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ could mean our love for Christ, objective genitive, or it could mean Christ's love for us. So let me tell you, In this text, it means his love for us, his for me and for you. So Christ calls us beloved, beloved. Now, that's a radical, radical statement that from his side toward each of us, he's making. Because I'm going to tell you. You and I live in a society which puts the burden of proof upon you and me to prove that we're worth being loved. Prove that you're worth being loved. Prove it by how much money you have. Prove it by how athletic you are. Prove it by how handsome you are, how cute you are. Prove it by your body shape. Prove it that you're worth it. Some years ago, we had Anne Lamott speaking at Calvin, at Calvin, and in her own inimitable way, she talked about about American society and about the things that kind of characterize American society. And she said, the American credo is basically five points. Number one, be perfect. Be perfect. Be handsome. Be cute. Be athletic. Be whatever. Be perfect. 
Number two, if you're not perfect, fix it. Number three, if you can't fix it, cover it up. Number four, if you can't cover it up, then don't go out in public. And number five, if you must go out in public, shame on you. So she said, we live in a cover-my-freckles society in which the entire burden of proof is placed upon young people and older people to prove their worthwhileness. To prove that they're worth being loved. So here's the news. Here's the... Here's the news. It's, it's not simply good advice, but it's radically different good news. You don't have to give anything. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to prove anything. You are beloved. The love of Christ toward us. Here's an additional word about that. It's really not based, his love for us is really not based upon, upon the intrinsic value that we have. Now, we do have value. But it's not based upon, upon how worthwhile we are. Our daughter Betsy, who lives in Montana, was, is in town for a couple of weeks with her four her four children, our, great, our grandchildren. and She showed me yesterday Facebook where they advertised a little bowl. Yeah, to me it seemed like an unusually ordinary bowl. But anyway, a, a bowl which was advertised with the astronomical price of $16,000. It eventually sold for $22,600. I'm going to tell you, folks, I've got bowls in my house that serve the exact same purpose as that bowl that went for 22000 But it's not that. It's what was in the eye of the beholder that, that charted that value. Somebody saw that bowl and said, that is an inestimably worthwhile bowl. 22,600. So too with us. When Jesus looks at us, he said, he says, there were many other worlds I could have created. I could have created a world in which you were taller, smarter, sharper, more expert. I could have I could have had you born of a different set of parents. I could have had you born in a different country. I could have had you born with a different set of characteristics. But Jesus says, it isn't, it isn't a different you that I love. It's this you. This you. You in all your uniqueness. 
I love. And friends, if you ever need to be reminded of that, just listen to God speaking about you via the words of the psalmist who said in response, Oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit down, when I rise up, you, you understand my thoughts from afar. And into that word love there, it's not simply you know me intellectually. It it's means you care about me. You're responsible for me. You long to see me flourish. You love me. So it prompted Charles Spurgeon to say one time, He who counts the stars and calls them all by name is in no danger of forgetting his own. He knows your case as certainly and as surely as if you were the only person he ever created, the only saint he ever loved. One more feature about the love of Jesus Christ and the entire triune God for us. One more point. The word love is not so much a simple static noun. It's love, this, or whatever. But it's an active love. It's a dynamic love. It's a love that... It's a love that amid all the, the fine print details of my life circumstances, the good, the evil, the sad, the hope-filled, is a love that, that walks along with us, that accompanies us. I want you to know that, that the biblical name for God in the Old Testament Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, is a verb, not a noun. It's a verb. Translated in a variety of ways, probably best translated in the words of one theologian, the name of the God of Israel is, I will be there with you. I will be there with you. So as we travel through our life and its pilgrimage. Here's this God coming to you and to me and saying, I love you. And my name is, I will be there with you. For the love of Jesus Christ constrains me, says St. Paul. And here's the second point. It constrains us. It compels us. Sunecho. It really means something like birth pangs. It, it, it forces me. It, it, it moves me. It, it prompts me. It, well, it constrains me. When St. Paul meditated the fact that he who had gone so off the rails in his, in his hatred of Jesus Christ and for those who were aspiring to follow him 
and went about persecuting them and attempting to kill them when St. Paul took the measure of his life with all of its messed upness and heard that he was beloved by Jesus. St. Paul said, my only appropriate response is to love him too. Is to love him in response. I could do no other, he said. I could simply do no other. His love prompts mine in response. Now, friends, I have no idea because I don't know you and you really don't know me. I have no idea how this statement from St. Paul prompts your heart and what it does to you. But I can tell you what it does for me. It does three things. Number one, it prompts me to meditate God's love for me. Dale Cooper. American male, husband, father, grandfather, at some points homeliest. But he loves me. And he prompts me to meditate that love. And his spirit prompts me to sing when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. It prompts me to respond to him by singing, not saying, but singing my favorite song. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I loved you, it's right now. To think that in this massive universe, and it's only gotten bigger since the Webb telescope, that in this massive universe, some 300 billion stars within our galaxy and a couple of hundred billion galaxies, that God would look upon me in love simply prompts me to say, Lord, I love you too. Henry Nouwen says somewhere that if there's any discipline that the Christian leader, and I'll just say more generally, if there's any discipline that the Christian in the 21st century requires, it's the discipline of dwelling in the presence of the one who says, 
I love you, I love you, I love you. And who asks me in return, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? So that's my first. It's simply to meditate my belovedness. And it means that I don't hasten past the cross. It means that I don't hurry past it. It means that I pause there. Because as the cross goes out of focus for me, then coldness and backsliding step in. So it means to linger at the cross and to meditate my belovedness. Secondly, for me it means to learn how to say thanks. To learn how to say thanks. John Calvin says somewhere, he's one of my favorite theologians, goes without saying. Uh, John Calvin says somewhere that to be human is to be that single point in the entire universe where the divine goodness can receive an echo of gratitude and wonder and delight. I'll repeat that. To be human is to be that single point in the entire universe. Out of all the things that God made, turtles, tarantulas, sun, moon, stars, everything, all the things that God made, to be human is to have the capacity to respond with wonder and delight and love. So, it's to learn how to say thanks and to become an echo of gratitude. Here's the third and the final. It's in response to, to, to sensing my belovedness. In turn, to also resolve to love others, as did Jeanette Aldred. No matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter their life circumstances, it's a prompting to love others as I have been beloved. And why? Because we're the whole realm of nature mind, people of God. We're the whole realm of nature mind that we're a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The word of the Lord. Amen. When you give of your time, talent, and treasure, God calls us to do it with an open hand and an open heart. Because often, we aren't able to see the impact of what we have given. 
Last week when I was out at Camp Geneva, I saw so many people give of themselves within the kitchen, as counselors, as a volunteer, and all were believing that what they were doing would make a difference in the lives of the campers that were around them. It was so inspiring. No matter where we give or how we give, when it's done with love and faith, it's so good, and it is promised to have a lasting impact. Thank you for giving as a Mayflower community. As you reach within these walls and you reach so far beyond, you truly are a blessing.
Precious Lord, we bring these offerings to you to be used for your will in your way. May we live our days seeking how to serve you through love and service. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Down through the centuries, worshipers of God have, have found inspiration and hope and guidance in the prayers of others, whether it be the psalmist or other passages of scriptures or people who have written their prayers of God and made them available to others in the centuries since the scriptures were written. Today, in this prayer of this congregation, I would like to base the prayer on the words that inspired me, words that come from Ted Lauder in a little book called The Gorillas of Grace that have helped me and guide my prayer over these days. Let's pray. Oh God, May we be with you today as you are with us. Keep us in touch with ourselves, with our needs, with our anxieties, our angers, our pains, our corruptions, that we may claim them as our own rather than blame them on someone else. O oh Lord, Deepen our wounds into wisdom. Shape our weakness into compassion. Gentle our envy into enjoyment. Our fear into trust. Our guilt into honesty. O oh God, gather us to be with you as you are with us. And our great God, we come to you as a church and lift this family before you. Thank you for this word of love that we have received today. May the love of Jesus Christ compel us. Be that driving force of our life. The needs of people within this church family are many. We lift them before you and we pray especially for Bob Elvey, who's dealing with AFib following surgery. Lord, may you calm and steady his heart. And in a request just received, we pray for the James Dupree family. Jim passed away yesterday. And his wife, Marcia, the sister of Marilyn Emery. Jim has been prayed for by this church over the past six years. 
in his struggle with Parkinson's. Now he has passed into your presence, O Lord. We know that you receive him in your great love. Comfort those he leaves behind who grieve this day. Draw them close to the heart of Jesus and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Each one here, each one watching, Lord, touch their lives with your love. Help us to open our hearts and lay all that we are before you. Thank you that you know us. And you have chosen to love us with that great everlasting love. And now as a church, we pray the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
people of God, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and into Christ's perseverance. And may God himself, the God of peace, keep you in his peace at all times amid all your circumstances. The Lord be with you. Amen.